Well, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Terry Lee. I'm one of the pastors here at the Oaks. As you just heard from Brooke, uh, we have been uh, really focusing on something this year that we have called Better Together. We believe that God has designed the church and the Christian life to be lived better together. And uh, we've said as a church family, let's really focus on bringing restoration through the gospel. Yes, that is always the mission of our church, but specifically by living out what it means to be better together through worshiping together on Sunday mornings uh, with a commitment, a renewed commitment to that after, you know, so long, you know, not, not being able to meet together, then meeting in another space, and then finally getting back to 10 a.m. worship gatherings here at NMRC. We said, let's commit this year to worshiping together. We said, let's commit uh, this year to growing together through our missional community groups. We launched new missional community groups all throughout our city uh, to gather throughout the week. And we also launched equip classes that start here at 9 a.m. every single Sunday morning to formally equip disciples in our church. Uh, We said, let's live out serving together. And our desire was to uh, launch some new serve teams fill some spots in our serve teams and say, uh, we want you not only where we need you, but where you need to be and where God can use your gifts in the life of our church. And then finally, living on mission together. It's been so exciting to see the way that uh, God has extended the the impact of our mission, both here in Cincinnati, in this neighborhood, uh, throughout our country and throughout the world. And so uh, it's exciting to be able to celebrate that kind of as we bring this year to a close, just all that the Lord has done as we have lived out what it means to be better together as a church family. Um, Now, real quickly, uh, this is also kind of a shift in what we've been doing as far as our sermon series goes. Uh, As you know, throughout this entire fall semester, we've been walking through the book of Romans. And today we're going to kind of shift gears and focus on, yes, the Better Together initiative, um, but also something we're calling Operation 1-8. And we're going to specifically look at what it means to be sacrificial in our giving and in our generosity as a church family. Now, going through different sermon series, kind of mid-book, is something that we started a couple years back. Uh, You may remember we were going through the book of Colossians, and then kind of mid-Colossians, we went to Nehemiah because we were doing something we called the Roots Initiative, and then we came back to Colossians. And I was amazed that we could kind of, you know, pivot mid-book and then come back and like nothing bad happened. (laughs) You know, like I know it's like all of my mentors and the people I followed have always gone like straight through a book and they're like, we did, you know, three years in the book of Romans. And it's like, that's awesome. That's also a really long time to be focused on one thing. And so we said, well, you know, let's begin to mix it up so that, you know, we're exposed to different genres of scripture throughout the year, which is why we spend, you know, our spring, kind of winter, spring semesters going through the book of Mark, because we want to see the life of Jesus. We want to be exposed to that narrative. Uh, We typically spend summers going through Old Testament narrative or Psalms or, you know, some sort of poetry like that to to enlarge our hearts and understand uh, the way that God speaks through those parts of scripture. And then normally in the fall, we go through an epistle like the book of Romans or something like that. And then that, this is kind of preparing us to transition next week into the season of Advent, this time of waiting, the expectation that comes with knowing Christmas is coming. We're reminded of the incarnation of Christ and the coming of Christ. Uh, so while this Sunday marks the first Sunday of Advent on the church calendar, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this Sunday and then begin our Christmas Advent series next week, which I'm really excited about. We're going to walk through some of the doctrines about who Christ is, why the incarnation matters, uh, how that plays into the Trinity, the eternality of Christ, and uh, the way that Christ is sinless, and why the virgin birth matters, all of these things I'm, I'm really excited about. 
But for our purposes this morning, I want you to go ahead and find 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. Now, as you turn there, um, as, as Jimmy said, it was Thanksgiving. So if, if you're here, that means that you survived any kind of turkey frying accident. Your travels were safe. So welcome back. Uh, glad that you're here. Now, I think it's interesting or perhaps ironic that Thanksgiving, this holiday that was kind of made an official holiday by Abraham Lincoln in 1863, uh, that is, is meant to be a time where we celebrate contentment and God's provision, uh, being satisfied and being, being grateful for all that God has given us. I mean, if, you, if you're familiar with what was taking place in the country during 1863. It was during the Civil War. It was during uh, this time of disunity and, you know, the bloodiest battle on our nation's soil. And yet Abraham Lincoln said, because our fields are still fruitful, because God has still been gracious and merciful to us, we still need to celebrate. We still need to be thankful for God's provision. And now think about just how this week in particular marks materialism or shopping in our culture Thanksgiving almost is, is like a reminder that there are going to be a lot of good deals and great things on sale that we don't want to miss. Thanksgiving is immediately followed by Black Friday and then Cyber Monday. Uh, really, the lines are so blurred at this point that it's just kind of like Thanksgiving week is the time to shop. Uh, actually, on Thanksgiving of this year, there was a CNBC article that came out yesterday, and it said that on Thanksgiving Day, there was the highest amount of online shopping, record shopping for 2021. $5.29 billion was spent on Thanksgiving alone. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should not try to get good deals for Christmas presents. Uh, I'm not saying that it's a sin to, to shop or you know, try to make the most of your money whenever you're thinking about what to get for, for Christmas or any of, that, any of that kind of thing, okay? Don't miss my point. What I'm saying is we often... Think about how we're going to spend our money. Oh, we think about what our paycheck is, what we're doing with our savings. Oh, we often think about how we're going to choose to spend our money. And I think that sometimes it's really easy to kind of take God out of the equation whenever we begin thinking about our money. Because we think, well, this comes into my account, and I can just kind of do whatever I want with this. And so my desire this morning is to give you a, a biblical picture of how to view money, what to do with your money, how you can take the plastic card that is in your wallet right now and make an eternal impact. That the way that you budget or the way that you think about giving can actually help you have a, have a deeper grasp of the character of God. That you could leave an impact that would outlast your life by the way that you choose to use your paycheck. And so the big theme for today would be this, that we give generously in response to the gospel and for the glory of God. We give generously in response to the gospel and for the glory of God. Now, I, I know that we might be all over the map whenever we come to a text like this, whenever we come to a sermon that is specifically about giving. So I just want to kind of give you a, a couple quick things to note before we even get started here. First, I want you to know that I have no idea what any person gives at the Oaks. 
All right, so as I'm, as I'm giving a sermon about giving, uh, I'm not like, oh, well, you really need to hear this or, you know, this person, they're, they're good here. No, I, I, I can just preach this as, hey, this is something that God says is good for us. It's a way to trust him. Uh, it's something I've found personally impactful in my life. Perhaps one of the most impactful spiritual disciplines that I've tried to grow in um, over the years, whenever I just think about like really tangibly trusting the Lord. And so, so I'm, I'm preaching the Bible because I believe this is what God has called us to. The second thing I want you to know is that this isn't a sermon that is coming out of like our church really trying to get out of debt or something like that. Like by God's grace, God has been extremely faithful to provide for our church. Uh, so this isn't like, oh no, like if, if everybody doesn't give this Sunday, like I'm not sure if we're going to be able to meet next Sunday. No, like like the Lord has taken care of us in, in a way that the entirety of our next year's annual budget is actually already in our bank account, okay? So, so the Lord has been extremely generous to us, and, and so we, we want to be faithful to follow God's Word, not, not in kind of some kind of fear or urgency mentality. Um, this is also just something that, that God has put for us as a part of Christian discipleship. So in the same way that, that I would say, hey, you need to spend time in prayer with the Lord. You need to spend time reading God's word and meditating on it. We need biblical community. And in the same way that I would, I would say, this is what God has designed for your Christian life. I want to teach you what God says about the way that you would use the finances that God has called you to steward. Um, and, and some of you might say, you know, this is going to be a really hard sermon for me to hear because I'm, I really feel like, you know, I'm stretched super thin right now. Like whenever, whenever I think about giving in response to the gospel or for the glory of God, like I, whenever I think about my finances, there's like this pit that rises in my stomach right now. And I would say, you know what? Take these things, learn from this, but right now might be a time that you should humbly receive instead of really saying, okay, how can I give, right? Because God has put people here in our church that are giving and, and the Lord is also faithful to meet your needs through what is given to our church. And so if, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, now, now is just like a time where I feel like I am, I'm trying to keep my head above the surface. Well, we have Kroger gift cards that we would give you today. If you're saying, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make my rent next month. Let us know. Like we will help pay your rent. Uh, one of our desires as a church and a core value of the Oaks is that we are generous. And so right now, if you're like, hey, I think God has really blessed me. I'm ready to give in some sacrificial way. Then, then I want to invite you into that. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, I'm really hurting right now, then I want you to know, hey, we, we are glad to jump in and help because that's what the church does. Uh, we give so that we can also take care of one another's and be a part of God's faithful provision in your life. So without all that being said, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want you to, to kind of draw from this nine lessons about living generously. All right, so we're going to look at nine lessons. Uh, just so you know, lesson number three is the longest one. So if you're looking at points, thinking through points, looking at your watch, trying to do the math, um, just, just don't even try, right? Uh, we're, we're going to roll through this. All right, but with that being said, let me go ahead and give you lesson number one. Lesson number one is we give because of what Christ gave to us. We give because of what Christ gave to us. We always begin with the gospel. In every one of Paul's letters, you see this rhythm where he gives you the indicative, what is true, what God has done for you, and then he gives the imperative. Now what you do in response to that. So we always begin with the gospel. What has God done for us? 
And now, how do we respond in light of that? Well, what we find whenever we look at the letter of 2 Corinthians is that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Now, I love the candor in which Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and I think it's because he spent more time with the church in Corinth during the planting phase than any other church that he was at. There is a relational depth here that is really unique because he spent roughly a year and a half in the city of Corinth in this church. And so what you'll find is there are times that Paul gives a really stern rebuke uh, to the church in Corinth. He's really straightforward to them. He's calling them out. And then there are times that he's just coming alongside them like a loving dad, really encouraging them, uh, you know, saying, hey, this is how you're growing. This is what's going on. And I couldn't be more excited about it. If you look at the letter of 1 Corinthians, you see there's kind of a lot of rebuke, a lot of challenge. And then you come to the letter of 2 Corinthians and you see all of these ways that he's saying, hey, this is how you're growing. This is how things are going well. And, and you see that in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 9 in particular, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth uh, because he has made a need known to them that is present in another church, most likely the church of Jerusalem, kind of uh, one of the mother churches that you see throughout the book of Acts. Uh, It seems that there was some sort of famine going on. There's this great need. And so Paul begins to write to other churches saying, hey, we really need your help uh, in Jerusalem, and and we're going to ask that you give. Well, the cool thing is the church in Corinth, they hear this and they're like, yeah, like let's meet that need. Like we're excited to do that. Uh, So much to the point that Paul is able to tell other churches about the excitement of giving in Corinth. And and then the other churches are like, oh, that's great. Like we want to give too. There's this familial, uh, you know, like participation in what God is doing in the other churches. And they can't wait to be a part of it. And so whenever Paul writes about giving, I want you to hear the way that he describes it and then kind of the motivation behind it. We'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, actually, to see that in verses 7 through 9. Listen to this. Paul says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What's he talking about? He's talking about giving generously there. He said, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. How does he describe giving there? He describes it as an act of grace. Whenever you think about acts of grace, what typically comes to mind? Is it giving? Here, that's the way that Paul describes this. Now, why would he describe sacrificial generosity as a gift of grace? Well, because giving, he says, hey, I'm not saying this to command you. I'm not saying this to guilt you. I'm not trying to lay this burden or obligation on you. I'm asking you to extend this act of grace. And what is grace? Well, we look at the way that Christ graciously came. It's undeserved. It's not a transaction. It's not because, hey, we did something and now God's like, well, they did all this stuff. Like now I have to send my son to save them. No, we're we're running away from God and he graciously sends his son. He gives at great cost and sacrifice to himself so that we could be welcomed into the family of God. It is an act of grace. And in the same way that whenever we give, whenever the church in Corinth was to give, it wasn't obligated. It wasn't out of reciprocity. Okay, you do this and now we'll make sure that whenever you get in a hard spot, the church of Jerusalem will, you know, double whatever you gave. No. 
He's saying this is an act of grace that we want you to be a part of. And then he, he points back and says, remember what Christ did? Remember the gospel? Like before we get to the imperative, let's look again at the indicative that Christ made himself poor so that in his poverty, you would experience great riches. What is he talking about? He's talking about the gospel that Jesus, the son of God reigning eternally said, I'm going to, I'm going to enter into the world that I created. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to become for a little while lower than the angels. Not because it's an obligation, but as an act of grace that he would live the life, fulfilling every command that God gave in a way that we never could. And then he goes to the cross to take the punishment that we deserved upon himself so that then he could take his righteous standing and accredit it, impute it to us so that in his resurrection and in our belief, God the Father would look at us and say, that is no longer my enemy, but my child in, in whom I greatly love and delight. This is the act of gospel grace. So now Paul is saying, as those who have received that kind of grace, that undeserved atonement and welcome and forgiveness, now respond in this way, that you would extend acts of grace to others also. I think whenever we look at this, the gospel actually dismantles some of the misconceptions that we often have whenever we think about giving. I think one of the common misconceptions that we have is that the church needs our money. And yet we find in the gospel that Jesus came, says, I will build my church. He is faithful to provide everything that the church needs. And so while we get to participate in what God is doing in the church, it's not like the church is going to somehow fail if we aren't faithful to give. We simply miss out on being a part of it. I think the second misconception that the gospel dismantles here is that God will love us more if we give more. And yet, where is the love of God for us fully displayed and forever known? In the cross. God loves you because of what Christ did, not because of what you are doing, not because of all the works that you can stack up or whatever your giving statement is at the end of the year. Another misconception that is dismantled here is that God will give us the stuff that I want if I give him my money. Right? Sometimes we view God as kind of this divine vending machine. And we say, okay, I'm going to put this in, I'm going to put this in, and then maybe like the real thing I want will come out. So, okay, I'll give this percentage of my money, but then I'm really expecting like this raise or this new job or, you know, this relationship to work out or something like that. And, and God is not transactional in that way. God is not just going to say, okay, well, I'll give you what you want if, if you give me what I need. No, God does not need anything. He's completely sufficient in himself. I think there's also a misconception that some of us think, okay, when I've mastered the other aspects of my Christian life, I'll be faithful in this. And this is kind of like the last part of us, you know, to like really submit to the Lord. So, all right, whenever I complete my reading plan and then, you know, whenever I'm praying every day, you know, for at least 10 minutes a day, then I'll begin to focus on, you know, my finances. And yet what we see is that the Lord calls us to acknowledge him as Lord over our entire life. And sometimes one of the ways that the Lord helps us trust him, see who he is, is by prying our hands off of the things of the world, opening our hands so that we can fully trust him with who he is and, and what he gives. And so we, we see the gospel and we say, okay, I want to be completely obedient into whatever God would call me into. 
And so here we find in 2 Corinthians 9 that Paul is saying there's some people coming, there are some brothers that are coming to collect everything that you have stored up for this giving. He said, I want you to be ready for when they come. I want you to know that they're coming and for you to be able to give whenever they get there. So with all that being said, kind of under that first lesson and as a little bit of background, I want to read chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. The word of the Lord says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We're just going to walk through this verse by verse. Uh, One of the first things that we see here is that Paul uses a farming analogy. So he's saying, as you sow, uh, God will multiply the fruit um, in accordance to what you have sown. So as we, as we say, God, we want to see you do more in our city. We want to see you change more lives. We want to see you do more in the world as a result of our sacrificial giving. We're saying, Lord, help us to be generous. Help us to give sacrificially and cheerfully because we long for your kingdom to be revealed throughout the world that we live in. Now hold on to the farming analogy that he uses as sower and seed, and then the fruit that flows from that, because we're gonna see that come up again. The, first, or the second lesson that I want you to see flowing out of this passage in verse seven is that generosity is more about what is in your heart than what is in your hands. Generosity is more about what is in your heart than what is in your hands. Now, it, it shouldn't surprise us here that Paul, before he gets into, you know, specifics or, you know, tries to get into like percentages or this is the, the way that you should give or anything like that, he says, hey, you should give whatever you've decided in your own heart. You should first consider your heart for a moment because sometimes things can be symptomatic on the outside, can be reflected on the outside, but not be truly reflecting what is going on inside you. Uh, Many of you know that uh, this Thanksgiving marks about a year since I had a terrible case of COVID. Uh, I wasn't here Thanksgiving uh, Sunday after last year because whenever we visited Florida in, uh, or visited family in Florida, I got really sick. And uh, about two weeks into having COVID and pneumonia, I rolled out of bed at like 2 a.m. and had a really bad cough. And after coughing, I looked at the floor and realized that my own blood was on the floor because my case of pneumonia had become so severe that one of my lungs wasn't working 
working properly, and I had just, you know, you kind of got into a really bad, bad place. And so went to the hospital and, you know, they checked all my symptoms. They began to check my temperature and all of these things. And then they hooked me up to an EKG because they wanted to know what is, what is going on in your heart? How is all of this stuff that we see on the outside truly affecting your heart? And Paul is doing something similar here. He's saying, I'm going to give you some specifics. This is the way that, that you've said that you're going to give, but but let's consider the heart. What have you decided in your own heart to give? And this is not new to Paul. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, our bank statements have a unique way of revealing what we truly love and what we truly care about, what we value, where we find comfort, where we uh, seek the approval of others. All of that stuff is often revealed by looking at where we spend our money. And, and what does Paul say? That you shouldn't give uh, reluctantly or under compulsion. No, you should be a cheerful giver in accordance to what you have decided to give in your heart. Now, I, I think that this is so important for us to understand the biblical foundation of giving in response to the gospel, because if, if we miss this, we could completely misunderstand what we're doing anytime we give to the mission of God. I mean, think about it. Who gets excited whenever you sit down to pay bills each week? Like, not, not me, or each month. You know, I'm not, I'm not excited to, you know, open the envelope for Duke Energy and, and think to myself, like, man, how can, I, how can I give toward the mission of Duke Energy this month? Like, how can I just further what they're doing in the world? Like, I'm, I'm not thinking that, you know? It's like whenever I'm making rent payments to, you know, our landlord, whenever we were, you know, living in the house, we were first living here. I wasn't like, man, I hope Greg has a great vacation this year. Like, like I hope he posts on Facebook and I loved Greg, you know? And it's just like, but I'm not, I'm not thinking like that way whenever I pay bills. And if we're not careful, we can take that same mentality into, you know, giving to the church or, you know, giving in to other organizations that we value that are accomplishing the mission of God. And we begin to think, well, this is just kind of another bill that I have to pay and we do it begrudgingly. And we, we miss out on the fact that whenever, whenever we give toward what God is doing in the world, we are, we are enabling the gospel to go forward, that we're being a part of what God is doing around us. And so the question then becomes, well, so how do I slip in, or how do I keep from slipping into maybe kind of this guilt-driven giving or, you know, obligation, uh, you know, burden of, of giving? How do, how do I protect my heart from becoming like that, where it feels reluctant or just under compulsion or obligation, and, and I'm cheerful in it? And that's where I would say, hey, consider your heart and soak your heart in the gospel. Like, John 3.16 is one of the most well-known verses for a reason. And what does it tell us about God? You might have never considered that verse as a passage of Scripture that displays the generosity of God. But what does it say? For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only Son. God the Father gave, gave the greatest thing that He had, gave the greatest person that He had, His own Son, to make us His own. Consider the life of Christ, how he endured great difficulty so that with great joy he could welcome us into his family. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We're saying, hey, let us lay aside 
the, the sins of materialism or seeking comfort in the things of the world or just trying to escape life through entertainment. Uh, let me lay aside every weight, the things that aren't bad, but uh, they're, they're distracting me. Let us lay these things aside. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How could Christ go to the cross with great joy? Because he knew even in that sacrifice, even in that difficulty, he would bring many sons and daughters to glory through what he gave. You see, this sermon, while it is about giving, is actually much more about what God is doing in your heart, about how you would trust him, about how, you, how you'd see all that he gave to make you his own, and that you would say, Lord, not only have my finances, but have my entire life. As, as Romans 12 says, Paul says, live as a living sacrifice to God. If there was some way in which we could, you know, write a, our own signature upon our whole lives, like a check to God, we would be willing to do that because Christ gave everything for us. This is why as, as a church, we are so generous. Uh, we, whenever people come here for the first time, we, we want to say, hey, we are so glad that you're here. We want you to know that God cares about you and loves you. And, and we've put together a small gift bag just to let you know that we care for you and we're glad you're here. Uh, this is why, as, as a church, we've said we want to, you know, have an entire team uh, committed as, as deacons to caring for the needs of others in our church and in our neighborhood. It's the reason that we've said whenever, you know, we, we host people for an event like fall kickoff, we want to give away free t-shirts and things like that. We don't have to do that, but we want to go above and beyond in generosity because the Lord has been so generous to us. And so we respond in generosity as an act of gospel response for all that Christ has done for us. But maybe you're wondering, okay, how? Like, give me some specifics. This is where lesson three comes into play, that we must develop a plan to give what we have decided in our heart. So we decide in our heart, but then we have to have a plan to put that into action. I remember whenever uh, Abby and I first got engaged, I remember working up the nerve to ask her dad if I could marry her. And then he said, okay, you can, but I want you to go through this budgeting class that our church was doing. You've probably heard of it, Financial Peace University. I had to like work on this budget. I had to show him my income, my projected income, you know, my long-term goals, all of this kind of stuff, present it to him. And that was kind of like a part of getting his stamp of approval. And, and I understand that, right? And if our, if, if our earthly father cares so much about having a plan because he knows that it's, it's a huge part of who we are and the way that we think and the way that we live, how much more should we consider the plan that we would have to, to put in place as God has called us to give what we have decided in our heart? You see, give here is in the present tense, and yet, whenever we read in verse 7 that we should give as we have decided in our heart, that decision is in the past tense. And so, we're applying what we've already prayed through, what we've, you know, talked to, you know, mentors about and those who would, you know, speak into our lives. We've really taken into account, Lord, what does it look like for me to be generous with all that you have given me? I think a, a good place maybe to, to look at for a principle, a guideline to provide here is Proverbs 3, 9. King Solomon wrote, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. 
we should honor the Lord with our first fruits. Now, in an agrarian society, what is Solomon talking about? Well, he's saying, hey, bring the first of your harvest, your crop, to the temple so that others would be blessed by it and so that God would be glorified by it. Now, we don't take this and apply this by saying, okay, well, you know, anything, if, you're, if you've got something that is growing right now or whatever you, you know, bring home from the grocery store this week, make sure you bring 10% of that to the rec center next week. Like that's, that's not the, the goal here. But I do think as we think about first fruits, two things are communicated. It communicates priority and it communicates sacrifice. Right? Whenever they're giving the, the first fruits, they're saying, hey, before I do anything else, before any of this goes into my pantry or on my table, this is going toward the Lord. And whenever, whenever people in the Old Testament gave their first fruits, they're saying, I'm, I'm giving my first and best. This is sacrificial because I'm not sure what's coming next. I don't know what the next of the harvest is going to be, and yet I'm going to trust the Lord with what he has given me. This is where the fourth lesson comes. We, we don't give out of uh, reluctancy or compulsion, but, but we do give cheerfully, and that is a sacrificial gift. Well, what is sacrifice? Sacrifice is giving what we love to gain what we love more. Now, what is the opposite of giving reluctantly or under compulsion? It's giving sacrificially. I mean, think about that for a moment. Sacrifice is, is giving what you love to gain what you love more. Uh, think about your, your time, you know, maybe, maybe there's someone that, you know, you love that's a friend or family member, but you also enjoy having time to yourself or going on a bike ride or, you know, watching, watching a movie, like whatever it is. And you say, you know what, I'm going to give up something I love to gain something I love more, which is deepening this relationship with this person. Whenever we, whenever we sacrificially give, we're giving something that we love to gain what we love more. There's a unique passage in 2 Samuel 24, 24, uh, where David has just seen the mercy of God and he wants to give this sacrifice to the Lord, you know, hundreds of oxen. And Arana, this guy that owns all of the oxen that David wants to sacrifice says, King David, you know what, just have these oxen. Like, I want you to just take them. They're a gift from me. And David says, no, I want to buy them from you because I don't want to give anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. You see, I want to exemplify the love that I have for the Lord through sacrifice. And so let me buy these from you because I want to show the Lord not only that I'm trusting him with all that he has given me, but that he gets my first and best. And so then the question becomes, okay, well then, so how much should we, how much should we give? I think the better question here probably is how much should we keep? Like the Lord owns it all. He's given it all to us. And so how do we say, Lord, help me to be faithful with all that you have given me? Uh, maybe you would say the, the three stages to think about my finances would be um, what do I need to give? What do I need to save? And what do I need to live on? So as I, as I think about all that God has entrusted to me and my income and my possessions, what do I need to give? What do I need to save? And what do I need to live on? Now, this text here is speaking specifically about uh, our finances, but I also want you to see this is so much bigger than this. Uh, there's, a, there's a family in our church that owns a lake house, and time and time again, they've, they've said to couples in our church, hey, if you need a marriage retreat where you can just spend time with your spouse and get away for a little while, please use, use our cabin. Uh, there are people in our church that have said, hey, if you need uh, something to drive, here are my keys. I work from home on you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
Uh, other people have said, you know, we make, we make enough for four people to eat and there's only three of us, you know, two of us uh, every, every, you know, night of the week. Like if you want a home-cooked meal, please, there's a seat at our table for you. So, so we are generous people. And at the same time, whenever it comes to, okay, how do we apply this in, in financial giving? What would be a helpful guideline to think through? Well, throughout the Old Testament, we see something called a tithe. In Hebrew, it literally means a tenth. And, and what I want you to see is that while I don't think this is still, you know, legally binding on us whenever we look at the Scriptures in any way, I do think it's a helpful guideline. Uh, we see a tenth of all of our income given throughout the Old Testament. Um, we see that from, you know, Abraham all the way through the last book of the Old Testament. And so it was good for God's people and my heart behind it is if this was what God used for, for those who were redeemed from the oppression and slavery of Egypt, how much more should those who have been redeemed from sin, Satan, and death now, now give generously? Now, we see that even whenever Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23, he, he rebukes them for tithing, you know, on all of their crops and yet leaving their heart out of it. But he never, he never, you know, rebukes them for using a guideline of 10% in their giving. He rebukes them for their hearts not being in it. Whenever Jesus looks at the widow who, who gives everything she owns and the two coins, he commends her for doing that. Whenever Zacchaeus responds to the gospel, he is 50% of all that he has. And so while we don't want to be legalistic about this and say like, well, you have to give 10% of your income, um, we, I view it as a helpful guideline that the Scripture gives from start to finish. Uh, what we see is that Christ has fulfilled every obligation of the law. We are no longer under the law. So this isn't something where we're like, well, if you give this percent, God really loves you. Uh, I think some of us could perhaps even be prone to self-righteousness in that way. And so we need to be aware of that and say, Lord, help me to give with the right heart and not to somehow earn my righteousness. And at the same time, we look at those who are released from the law and now given the Spirit has actually been given a higher calling. Think about it for a moment. The Ten Commandments, they, they say, thou shalt not kill. And what does Christ say in the New Testament? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a higher calling. Whenever we look at the, the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not bear false witness. It's talking about lying. Don't bear false witness. And then what do we see in the New Testament in Acts 1-8? You shall be my witnesses throughout all the world to make my gospel known. It's, it's this shift that is actually given to us in a higher calling. So I think as, as we look at this, we don't say, okay, well, like what, what is like the bare minimum standard that I can hit? But we say, Man, what would God call me to give in response to the gospel? And perhaps just using that 10% as, as a guideline. Now, I know that we're in all different places. And so for some of you, perhaps you've been doing that for a year and you've adjusted your budget. And that's like, hey, I, I understand that that feels like it's, it's normal for you. Others of you, this might just be like, you know what, I'm going to start with 1%, trusting God with my first and best, and I want to have a plan over the next two to three years to, to continue to give in a way that is helpful and good. I would say that, that as Paul is talking here, he's talking about giving, pulling your resources in the church of Corinth for the goods, uh, good of what God is doing there and throughout the world. My conviction is that your primary giving should be the local church, to the local church that uh, you have covenanted to, that you're a part of, because that is where you've said, I want to place my, 
my discipleship under the care of this church. I wanna commit to meeting the needs of people in this church family. And I'm in alignment with the mission of this church for what he is doing in this city and around the world. That's one of the great things about, um, one of the, one of the you know, great things about the transparency of our budget and the way that we think about giving. We present our budget, we work through our budget as a church family. And then we say, let's take two months where you can ask questions, where you can talk about it, uh, knowing where every line item is going so that whenever we come together and we vote to pass a budget, we say, yes, like this is how we're meeting needs in our community. Uh, This is how we're caring for people who enter the doors for the very first time. This is how we're sending missionaries. This is how we're equipping church planters in our state and throughout the region. And we come together and we say, yes, we want to be a part of this. So we give to our church. But I also say, as, as you have decided in your heart, should not be a one-time thing, but that this should be a constant matter of prayer over time. Uh, maybe you haven't really considered what it looks like to be faithful in this season of life and how that might change from times before. So you might say, okay, well, this is what I'm giving now, but I also have goals for giving. Like each of us have goals with our finances. Maybe we want to purchase a house one day. Maybe we want to upgrade our car, something like that. What goals do you have for financial giving? Maybe you say, you know what? I really think our, God's calling our family to adopt a child or to foster or to help someone else who's going through that process. So I want to I begin saving to be a part of that. Maybe you would say, you know what? We want to be able to host people at our home, but that's really going to up our grocery bill. And so in addition to, to what we're giving to the church or other commitments that we have, we want to begin putting money in, in a line item every week so that we can have a couple people over uh, on a monthly basis. Maybe you would say we want to give toward a compassion child or next year I want to sponsor a kid who's going to Young Life Camp. Or you begin saying, what, what could God do with what he has given me to further the gospel? And so we begin to develop a plan for what God is doing and how we can be a part of it. This brings us to our fifth lesson, that when we give, we trust that God will provide. What do we learn in verse eight? That God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How do we give cheerfully? How do we not give frightfully? Or, or anxiously, we know that God is able to provide every single one of our needs. God gives us everything that we need to do everything that he has called us to do. Sometimes I think that we don't give because we don't believe this promise that God is able and we think that we are able. I mean, sometimes we say, you know what, I, I'm not super certain about my future but I know that if I can save enough money in my account, then I'll feel really good about my future. It's in my hands, not the Lord's. That's a a dangerous way of thinking. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if if I'm able to, uh, you know, provide for myself and, you know, if if I'm able to achieve more and give, give me more things in my home that provide comfort, then I don't have to rely upon the Lord as much for my satisfaction. And yet, if that's your way of thinking, you will miss out on seeing just how able and sufficient God is to meet your needs. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, whenever we were going through the Roots Initiative, and um, I I hesitate to share this. uh, And at the same time, I want to praise God for what he did in our family. 
And so we were going through something called the Roots Initiative as a church, and uh, there was a building we were looking at. I mean, uh, many of you were there, if not most, and uh, we said this is kind of a really pivotal time for our church. We wanted to make an offer. Now you know how the story goes. We made the offer. We didn't get the building, but here we are, ready for any opportunity God would give us. And uh, as Abby and I began to pray about it, um, I said, I think, I think God's calling us to give an entire month's paycheck toward this initiative as a church. And we had medical bills from both of our boys at the time. Um, you know, Charlie had some acid reflux and the medicine for that alone was like $150 a month. And we were just like, you know what? We have, we have payment plans set up for a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, this, that, that can wait, but we really feel like this is an, an act of uh, obedience to the Lord. And, um, and, and that's not to, to flaunt. I think our giving should be done in secret. And at the same time, I want you to know that, that we wrote that check um, we, you know, were like, kind of like, okay, like this is, this is a moment of trusting the Lord. And, uh, that was somewhere in November. And then February of that year, it was unbelievable. A grant that we had applied for, uh, maybe a year before for all of those medical bills, we got a letter in the mail saying that 80% of that had been covered. And, and so what we, what we held on to at first, thinking like, we don't know if we can give this or not, we then gave that and we said, Lord, we're gonna trust you with this. We're gonna trust that you provide. And then there was something that we completely unexpected um, that the Lord then provided after we were like, I, I don't know how we are going to do this. And through that, we were able to say, God is able to do more than we can ask or think. Like a part of learning who God is as the provider is trusting him to provide whenever it doesn't make sense. Now, I'm not saying that you should be frivolous. I think you should be responsible. Uh, I think you should, you know, have a good head on your shoulders and, and ask for wise counsel whenever you make decisions like that. And at the same time, I invite you to give sacrificially and sometimes in ways that are uncomfortable so that you can behold the provision of God and the way that he cares for his people. There's a reason that Psalm 112.9 is quoted here. It, it says, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God is saying, I will give to those who have need and you will, you will never lack as long as I am your God. He puts his own reputation on the line here and saying, I'm, I'm promising that I will do this. He is faithful. He is righteous, it says. If the Lord doesn't provide for his people, what we see here is that God is saying that I'm not righteous, but because I am righteous and I will never let my reputation be doubted or tarnished, I will meet every single one of your needs. So this is one of the ways that we learn who God is as the one who supplies. Lesson six, we sow what God supplies. In verse 10, we find that we are not owners, but we are stewards. What does verse 10 say? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Right. We are just the sowers. We are stewards of what God has given. God provides all of the seed. God provides everything that we would give. And so we recognize our place here. In the same way that you might have children uh, who are going to give gifts to grandparents this Christmas, and you'd say, hey, here's the money. Here's you know, the, the gift that you're going to give them. And then they're able to say, hey, here, I got this for you. We've been given a gift from God, and now we're able to give it to others because of the way that he has freely given to us. Lesson seven from verse 11, we find that what is gained through giving is greater than what we could ever give away. What is gained through giving is greater 
than what we could ever give away. Because we read, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You'll be enriched in every way. Now, my goal here is to not sound like a prosperity preacher and say, if you give your money, then God will, you know, give you money. That's, that's not the goal. It's not like, hey, I'm, you know, I need a jet or I'm selling anointing cloths. And if you, you know, give money to the church, you're going to get one in the mail. Like, that's not what's going on here. And at the same time, in Malachi 3.10, God says, hey, test me in this. And, and I will make sure that your needs are met. I will provide for you financially when you trust me with your finances. And at the, at the same time, we know that often the fruit that we reap is not the same as the seed that is sown. Like imagine that you were to go out into your yard and, you know, plant um, uh, an acorn. And then you walk out next week and now there's just like 100 acorns where you put that acorn. That would be weird because the seed does, often does not look like the fruit. But if you were to plant that acorn and then weeks, months, years from now, you see this beautiful, strong oak tree, you recognize, hey, this is different from what, I, what was sown. And at the same time, this is significantly better than just a pile of acorns. Well, sometimes we, we sow our finances and what God gives us is greater contentment in Him. Learning that the things that we often sought for contentment actually don't provide it, but that He is the one who alone provides contentment. One of the things that we often reap is recognizing the futility of our own idols. Uh, we often use money to only get or try to get what only God can give. I mean, how often have you said, you know, if I can just drive this or wear these clothes, then I'll be accepted by everyone around me. And God says, through Christ, I accept you. You don't need that. Sometimes we think, well, if I could just kind of, you know, uh, be comfortable through, you know, this entertainment or getting this new thing, like I want that. And how often have we tried to get that and it doesn't work? And then the Lord is saying, look, I am your shelter. I am your refuge. Come and trust me. And ultimately we learn to trust God more than ever. Lesson eight, our giving enables others to experience the faithful provision of God. In verses 12 through 15, Paul talks about what this will do to the church that is impacted by their gift. He says, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. He's saying that the church that is benefited by this gift will glorify God because of you and what you gave. What if your gift is the means that God is using to deepen the trust that someone else has in him? What if God is sanctifying someone else in their understanding of God's provision and how good he is by what you would give? What about our missionaries on the field right now that are praying, Lord, provide for what you have called us here to do. And they get that check in the mail from the Oaks and say, Lord, you are faithful. And what about those who are walking through the doors, who walked through the doors for the very first time at the Brook Miami this morning, and they received a warm cup of coffee and a greeting from a friend with a first time guest bag because we gave. They're saying, I've experienced the grace of God through you. How are others being strengthened? How will others glorify God because of what you sacrificially give? I love the way that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in chapter four. He says, I seek not the gift that you are giving, 
but the fruit that increases to your credit. I'm not going to quote it in its entirety, but what he is saying here is because you gave, you can take part in what God is doing in a place that you're not even at, wherever God is doing it. Like, I find great joy in the fact that, that because, I, because I give, I get to be a part of the meal that is provided for our, for our missionaries in Turkey as they're sharing the gospel around their dinner table. Like, I, I get to be a part of creating that space. I get to be a part of, you know, I think about Jacob Boggs last week walking out of this room with like 12 Bibles for his Young Life students that I get to be a part of a high school kid having his very own Bible for the very first time. And it's not one of those paperback ones that's like gonna fall apart in a week. It's like a nice leather bound one because, because I said, Lord, here's my money. Like do whatever you want with it. I get excited about the fact that by God's grace, I will one day meet people in heaven that I have never met before because I said, Lord, here's my money. Do whatever you want with it. And by God's grace, he sent out missionaries through the IMB, through the cooperative program and through everything else that we partner with to plant gospel preaching churches all around the world. So I say, yeah, God, be glorified through what you would give and have me to give. What we see next and, and, and finally his generosity expresses gratitude toward the Lord. Verse 15, Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Because God gave, we give. The, the gift of the gospel is inexpressible. There aren't words in the English vocabulary to describe all that God has given to us. And we just say, Lord, we're grateful. So we give. Specifically for us this, this Christmas, you, you can look at the, the card that is in your seat, Operation 1-8. We're saying, Lord, how would you use us in Cincinnati, in the Midwest, in our country, and around the world to give? I invite you to take that, to, to pray about what would, God would have you to give, and to say, I want to be faithful to give to this today, to this week, to be a part of what God is doing. To, to go on the website and to click the Operation 1A, even if you've never given to the Oaks, you'd say, you know what, I, 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 didn't, I haven't seen the budget, I don't know, but I, I want to give to this to be a part of what God is doing around the world through the Oaks Church. Uh, maybe you're here, this is your first time. I would say, don't give. If, if this is your first time here or you know, you're, you're still new to the Oaks, you're still figuring things out, then, then I would say, hey, pray about you know, the, where God would have you to give. But, but think about giving generously. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. My invitation to you would not be to give, but to receive. You see, God so loved you that he gave his only son. The Lord is not asking for anything of you in this moment, but your heart, but your entire life to say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And, and I have created a debt of sin that I could never repay. And yet you paid it in full in Christ. Would you receive that gift this morning and to respond in repentance and faith? Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I, I've been giving for a while and I just need to reorient how I think about giving. Maybe you'd say, you know what, my, my giving right now isn't gospel-centered, and so Lord, help me to, to have a heart that is generous. Maybe you say, you know what, I've, I've been giving for a while, but I haven't thought about additional ways to give, uh, to support missionaries, or to create a new line item in our budget, or to think about how we can come alongside what God is doing in and around the world. You see, we, we give because all that Christ gave. And so we, we long to give generously, both as individuals as, and as a church, in response to the gospel and to the glory of God. Let's pray.